0: Welcome to the Further Light Podcast, presented by Wisconsin Freemasonry, helping you accomplish your Masonic goals through education and more light. And now, I present to you, Brother Chris Ludke.
1: This is Brother Chris Lickie, and today I want to explore the four cardinal virtues. In doing so, I want to provide an overview before we go into each one individually in its own episode. So we will be briefly touching on the actual four cardinal virtues. This is going to be very similar to the liberal arts, where I provide an overview and then go into each one with more detail. We are constantly inundated with situations where we must make decisions. For example, someone cuts cuts us off on the freeway. We have to decide whether we ignore it and go about our day, or lash out in anger. We may have a job we dislike, but must continue to go to for the sake of family and financial stability. Why should we care about these situations, and does our reaction to each really matter? We should care because regardless of our belief system, these virtues will bring us happiness. Whenever we lie, cheat, steal, take the easy way out, or ignore others in need, life is immediately easier for us. But after a while, these things may well begin to weigh on our conscience. If you choose the virtuous path in each situation, you live without regret, and with good intention. There's nothing freer than that. So how can you express this deep-seated freedom? Well, you can express it through the use of the four cardinal virtues. Temperance, fortitude, prudence, and justice. These virtues are regarded by many philosophers to be the basis of living a good and righteous life. And by the way, they are quite universal. If you go out and you look at different cultures, you will find a list of universal virtues. And almost every single culture will agree on these four. They might split one here or there. They might rename one. But they're the same ideas. There must be something to this. As Masons, we were exposed to the four cardinal virtues early in our degrees. Today, I want to delve into their origins, usage, and meaning overall before explaining each one in a further episode. So let us start with the four cardinal virtues in overview. What are the four cardinal virtues? Well, when we deal with what are the four cardinal virtues, we need to ask, what does it mean to be a good person? Answers to this question, of course, will vary from place to place, time to time, culture to culture. But most likely, the answers will remain roughly the same. A good person is kind, brave, honest, wise, responsible, etc., Answers like these implicitly buy into a specific moral philosophy, this idea of virtue ethics. It's a very old idea. Virtue ethics, though it leaves a place for rules, laws, consequences, and outcomes, focuses on inner qualities. So in other words, it's about why someone does things for internal reasons, not because they're illegal or because they'll be paid for them. One of the most famous proponents of virtue ethics in the history of philosophy was, of course, the great Greek philosopher Aristotle, teacher of Alexander the Great. Though Aristotle lists many different virtues in his Nicomachean ethics, some receive special attention. Foremost among the moral virtues stand four key virtues, what we refer to as the cardinal virtues, the cornerstone of Aristotle's moral framework which are prudence, justice, temperance, and courage. These four cardinal virtues form the linchpin of his complex and profound ethical system. According to him, possessing these virtues makes a person good, happy, and flourishing. So let's look into a little bit of history here. The roots of virtue theory lie in the pre-Socratic times before Socrates and the moral ethicists of the Greek classical and late classical period, but commenced in earnest with Socrates and his infuriating questioning of the values and beliefs of his fellow Athenians. The theory was significantly advanced by Plato and was definitively elaborated by Aristotle himself in his two ethical treatises, the Nicomachean Ethics and the Eudamian ethics. Aristotle thought was preserved by Arab scholars during the so-called Dark Ages or Middle Ages, and rediscovered by Christian thinkers during the High Middle Ages. Aristotle moral philosophy was then incorporated into Christian moral theology and philosophy by people like Thomas Aquinas. So that's how we get from the cardinal virtues as developed by Aristotle through the medieval and into Christian philosophy. Aristotle's four cardinal virtues only make sense within the broader context of his moral philosophy. His ethics are teleological, that is, they focus on the end or goal of human beings. Why do we exist? How do we get from point A to point B? he noticed that people always act for ends or goals, some good which they see as desirable. Some of these goods, however, are only intermediate. For instance, if I chose to go to the store, this this goal is intermediate, a means, since it is chosen only for the sake of a further good, buying food, thus feeding myself and allowing myself to live. But buying food is also a means, not chosen for its own sake. Given that people do act, Aristotle reasons that there must be some chief good that represents an end and not a means, that is the ultimate force that motivates action. Thus, for Aristotle, ethics takes on a teleological character. We ought to act in a certain way so that we can attain our teleos, or our end goal, the end which motivates all human action. Moral goodness is therefore a response to the call of basic human goods, and action is morally good if it is humanly good to do. Everything we choose should be to help us attain our maximum state of thriving as human beings. So Aristotle is basically saying that at the end of the day, there are some goals that are different than others, some that are intermediaries, such as my example of going and buying food, and some that are end goals. For example, I want to be an author, I want to be a good person, I want to be X, Y, or Z. Now, he also shows how cardinal virtues are moral virtues. The ideas of morals and ethics are pretty new to the Greeks around the time of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. This is where the virtues enter the picture. Aristotle distinguishes intellectual from moral virtues. The cardinal virtues are moral virtues, a kind of moral power. Virtue is a state of character or moral habit. So the argument is that if you possess a given virtue, such as courage or fortitude, and use it to act bravely, then it becomes habitual. And when it becomes habitual, that's when you become a good person. So through education and practice, he or she has built up this habit, this default response, which kicks in when dangers present themselves. And virtue is an indistinguishable aid in the moral life, or indispensable aid in the moral life. It offloads some of these struggle of constant moral decision-making into our reflexes. It becomes a heuristic becomes a pattern, something that we simply do before we really even need to think. Now, Aristotle believed that both excess and defect compromise the nature of things. The human body, for example, can neither be too hot nor too cold if it's going to stay healthy. Similarly, we need to pursue a balance regarding actions and passions to perform our function well, to be morally healthy and happy. This means... Uh, this mean, however, this average balance, is relative to us. The mean, and therefore virtuous action, changes from person to person. For example, different people have different alcohol tolerances. What is appropriate for one person to drink would not be temperant, or would not show temperance for another. The mean is determined by reason, by that principle by which man of practical wisdom would determine it. So, what it's saying, what Aristotle is saying, is that each of these cardinal virtues is developed within a person. Using the example of alcohol, what is temperance for me is not necessarily temperance for someone else. They might be able to consume less or more than I can while maintaining that level of virtue. And that applies to everyone. Some of us have inborn tendencies and personalities. What is courageous to one might be a pretty average act to another and nowhere is near their level of bravery. These things are somewhat relative, but they are also at the same time objective. They're things that we can aim for, things that we can improve. So what is this standard? How do we determine what our mean, our average, what? each of these is for us? What is courage for us? Well, we do so through prudence. For Aristotle, prudence is practical wisdom, the rational rule and principle by which we determine what is virtuous or what is our virtuous average, our virtuous mean, and what we ought to do in a specific given circumstance. In modern usage, prudence connotes a kind of caution. Sometimes we think of it as being timid The prudent man is unwilling to take risks. He keeps his cards close to the chest and acts only when there's minimal damage to himself, minimal danger to himself. Aristotle means something very different, though. Prudence for him is the first cardinal virtue, the mother of all virtues, a way of seeing what is good in the here and now, of identifying the right action among the various choices which may stand in front of us. No one can act as though, as they ought without prudence, because without prudence, one is blind. The imprudent person may mean well, but when they act, they may choose things that are in fact contrary to their authentic happiness. So how do we become prudent? How do we become this prudent man so that we can determine what our level, our mean of these cardinal virtues is? Well, prudence is gained primarily through living life. It's wisdom. It's age. Only the keen observer of human nature, the person who has both experienced many things and reflected on those experiences, that's really important, reflected on those experiences, can develop the ability to judge what actions will and will not lead to happiness. Aristotle's moral framework thus emphasizes the role of mentors in ethical life, so we can speed the process a little bit. We must learn how to judge rightly from those who have experienced more than we have and who have gained insight over the course of their lives. We need to rely on their instructive tongue to provide instruction to our attentive ear. Moral education then must be key. Living virtuously is much easier for those who have been trained by the prudent, and so have been brought up to avoid making certain mistakes in life. But of course, having dealt with prudence, we need to also discuss justice. While prudence enables one to judge well about what the right action is, justice is the cardinal virtue that deposes one to do what is right, and and to want to do what is correct. Prudence deals with judgment, justice with action and desire. For Aristotle, justice is nuanced. A just person can simply mean a good person, or it can refer more specifically to someone who is fair in their transactions with others. However, the two meanings are rather connected. For him, the human being is a political animal, meant to live in a society. Thus, the virtue that perfects a person as dealing with others, with his fellow society members, fittingly describes the whole moral perfection of man. Justice may require a simple reciprocity. And this is where we tend to miss it. We think of justice in terms of judging others, and in reality, it's judging ourselves in our own actions. For example, if I buy a cup of coffee, I owe the seller the posted price. If I don't pay it, then I'm not being just to them. And if they give me the wrong coffee, maybe a smaller size, or simply take my money and run, then they aren't being just to me. But it's also more complicated. For example, a wounded veteran may deserve more from the state than an average citizen, since he or she has sacrificed more. In any case, the just person desires to give nothing less than what is due. And that's the key to justice. Giving everyone what they are due. You don't hide behind fairness and equity. You give them what they need. No one can be shortchanged, swindled, or mistreated in any way in a truly just society, or in just dealings with society. Then we have temperance. Prudence and justice both seem fairly broad. Once a man uh, judges well and treats others well, what virtue could possibly be left? However, Aristotle believes that as animals, we also have non-rational appetites and desires such as hunger, thirst, love, and anger, which can get out of hand and compromise our judgment and our will. These drives within us need to be properly ordered so that they can serve the human good instead of undermining it. Temperance today brings to mind the prohibition era, or alcohol, but for Aristotle it was much broader. Temperance is the cardinal virtue that hits the mean with regard to bodily pleasures. This could be food, this could be drink, this could be sex. It avoids the extremes of self-indulgence and insensitivity, seeking legitimate pleasures at the right time and in the right way. It's really about balancing pleasure, balancing it with justice, with prudence. The temperant person, does not despise pleasure. This is not ascetism. This is not avoiding all things that might bring one pleasure. The temperate person enjoys good food and wine, but partakes in only as much as the occasion demands. By being incorporated into the whole good life, these pleasures can be what they were meant to be for human beings rather than undermining our flourishing. Finally, fortitude. Courage, as Aristotle puts it, or fortitude as we tend to be taught, is the cardinal virtue that strikes the mean with regard to feelings of fear and confidence. The courageous person regulates his or her emotions, deposing them so that he is willing to face dangers for the sake of what is right. Otherwise, fear or bravado could cloud the judgment of prudence or overcome the desire of justice to act rightly. For Aristotle, there are two ways not to be courageous, excessive timidness and excessive boldness, between which courage strikes a balance, that idea of middle way and balance once again. Fortitude involves bravery in the face of death, because death is the greatest sensible evil. The courageous man is not the man who is free from fear, because if you're free from fear, that's a very dangerous state to be in. Rather, it is the man who moderates his fear, lest it compromise his goodwill. The brave man is dauntless, or relentless. He faces things as he ought for honor's sake. Calm beforehand, he is keen in the moment of action. The rash man, the person who takes it too far, is anything but calm. Rash men are often young, inexperienced, impulsive, and prone to anger. Often, the rash hothead wishes for danger beforehand, but shrinks from them in the moment. Thus, rashness is often a mask for cowardice. And the coward lets his fear keep him from doing what is right, hence the need for courage. So let's put these together. These four virtues are called the cardinal virtues. And from, they come from the Latin word cardo, meaning hinge, They are the hinge on which rests the whole of moral life and human happiness. Aristotle subdivides them, discussing many more virtues such as truthfulness, friendliness, and wittiness. But they remain the big four. The prudent person judges correctly. The just person wills correctly. The temperate and courageous person has ordered appetites and emotions preserving prudence and justice intact. Sketch quickly, this moral schema might seem rather vague and unhelpful, but Aristotle thinks it really describes human life. We are a certain kind of being. Thus, we have certain kind of flourishings or happiness specific to us. We act, therefore, those who tend to act in a way more conducive to their flourishing will live happier lives, which is a fancy way of saying if you follow the four cardinal virtues, you will tend to be happier. You won't have concern for regret or conscience or a heavy conscience. His account preserves an element both of objectivity and relativity, capturing the complexity of human life. Now, is it really that complex? And the answer is yes. Anytime we're getting into morals and ethics, it is. Because there are always gray zones. There's always problems. There's always things that you can talk about. But at the end of the day, the four cardinal virtues guide you in your everyday experience. They assist you in making decisions. And so by their proper application... We become better men, influencing our families to become stronger and better, influencing our communities to become better, influencing society. We become role models, not just within the lodge, not just within our family, but to everyone. So be that role model and apply the four cardinal virtues
0: Are you interested in learning more about Freemasonry in Wisconsin? Visit wisconsinmasons.org. That's w i m a s o n s . o r g. Learn more about Freemasonry and access more educational content and further light. Any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email us at education at wimasons.org. Once again, that email address is education at Wisconsin Masons, wimasons.org. Thank you for listening.